Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. Welcome, everyone. This is Holly Tesca with Uplifting Women Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Kristen Strunk. And today's guest is Paula Goulden Natov. Paula and I know each other through the Association for Corporate Executive Coaches and have become very acquainted in the last couple of years through committee work, etc. And I'm really excited to have Paula on today because she has a bit of a windy, I guess I'll say, career, which I find very interesting. But before we dive into that, I just want to tell you that Paula is a transformational executive leadership coach. As the founder and principal of Artemis Leadership Development, LLC, Paula helps professionals and business leaders use experiential learning to access their emotional intelligence, connect with clients and colleagues, and create catalytic change. Paula has a unique combination of legal, organizational, business, and financial services experience, academic achievement, and training in executive coaching and organizational consulting, together with a passion for helping people and organizations succeed in rapidly changing and ambiguous environments, especially those with cross-cultural implications. Paula's specialty is coaching new leaders and people who want to move into leadership in their organizations. Paula also does career coaching, including career transition coaching. So wonderful to have you here today. I've already given folks a little bit of a hint as to your varied background. And I know you're, a, I don't want to say a new coach, but you are a newer coach who is still working hard to develop into the space. Thank you so much, Holly. And also thank you, Kristen. I'm delighted to be here. So one of the things we love to do on the show is to share with our listeners different stories that speak to challenges, circuitous career moves. Everybody, we all have this feeling out there that we're the first ones that have carved the path, so to speak. And I think that's, of course, everyone's experience in, of their life and their career is unique, but there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of people out there who have done it before 
can share tips and tricks and tidbits about how to get ahead. At the end of the day, we're all looking for the same thing. We're looking for purpose in life. We're looking for the ability to give back to our communities. We're looking for that ability to help lift others up. And here on Uplifting Women, of course, the story is all about how do we create a better workplace for women in in the world. And it's not just the workplace, it's life in general. So Paula, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about how you got to be an attorney where did all that come from? Where did it start? It started in my family of origin, really. My father was always of the belief and said to us very frequently that he felt that a person was not truly educated unless they knew the law. And this was back in the 1970s, he made the offer that no matter what graduate work or or professional school, any of us, and I'm one of three children, he would, in addition to paying for graduate school, he would also pay for law school, except if one of us wanted to go to medical school. He was not up for paying for law school and med school. Um, I can't understand why. Even in the 1970s. Unfortunately, he did not live to see any of us actually do that, but it obviously made a mark on my two brothers and me because eventually, not immediately for all of us, but eventually we all did go to law school. And besides that, we also, all three of us married lawyers. Now, interestingly, and one by one, starting with my younger brother's wife, have dropped out of the, (laughs) have stopped practicing law. And actually my younger brother has gone in and out of practicing law. And this this was a really interesting lesson in how once you're set on a career path, you don't have to stay there and you can go off, come back, go off. This is not a one size fits all proposition. And that's actually what my dad did also because he never actually practiced law. He went to law school at night when I was a baby. And then his particular interest in the law was writing wills. So he wrote wills for his friends. Wow. Weekends, but he worked for NASA as a contract administrator, but not a lawyer. I had these object lessons starting with my dad, but also with my brother and sister-in-law in how it's possible to, to mix it up. That's an unusual start. I don't think I've ever known anybody else who went to law school and is kicked around in and out. I'm really interested, Paula. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you had gone to law school and are not practicing law. So I'm interested in your career journey from where you started through grad school and law school and some of those other things to where you are now. I mentioned my one brother who has gone in and out of practicing law. 
my other brother actually got a PhD in history from the University of Chicago back in fact while I was in college and we spent a lot of time together while I was still in school and so I saw firsthand exactly what happened with him he had this prestigious PhD 1975 just as the academic market closed up tight and I watched my beloved older brother interviewing for job after academic job after job for I forget how many years three years four years or something like that five years and eventually he was interviewing for art history jobs and that wasn't his field at all it just got it, it was so upsetting to see and so I knew very early even when I was back when I was in college that if I had that I didn't want to do that and I also knew that if I had been born not 10 years earlier but 15 years earlier that I would have gone on to be, I would have become an academic, gotten a PhD like my brother in, probably in my case, it would have been English literature, maybe, or a different subfield of history. But I was totally unwilling to do what I saw him having to do. So I took one year off, was just burned out after, you know, graduating from college and took one year off, worked for an advertising agency, doing some writing, mostly answering the phones, and then went back, went to law school. Two years later, after my older brother was laid off of, let's see, eventually he gave up on the academic job market and started working for publishing houses, which I could have seen myself doing also, maybe, but then he got laid off from one publishing house and then laid off from another publishing house. And this was all as I was beginning law school. And after the second layoff, my brother, who is 10 years older than I am, this is for the birds, I'm going to law school. And so he started law school at the exact same time my younger brother started law school. They're 13 years apart in age. They started law school and finished law school at the same time, two years after I finished. Wow. So this so, kind of started the foundation for you to know that you needed to have multiple tracks or multiple options because, and quite frankly, I remember those years when my husband too was out of work in the early 80s mm-hmm, sure. when the world was topsy-turvy and it, it burns a kind of hypervigilance, I guess, into you. Exactly. And I watched that happen with my older brother firsthand. And there were some fields that, that you're absolutely right, were, were topsy-turvy in the early 1980s. But law was not one of them. And there were loads of jobs of different sorts available for recent law graduates. Mm-hmm. And so I'm absolutely not the only one who 
and, and neither are my, not me, not my brothers. We are absolutely not the only refugees from other fields that landed in the law in the 1980s. So I don't see you as refugees. I see you as resilient. And I think anybody who was early in their career in that period of from the late 70s to the late 80s developed some form of that hypervigilance about looking for a career that was recession proof. That's exactly right. So what kinds of law have you practiced? And as I read your, your bio here earlier, you've played in so many different facets of the business world. Now, tell us a little bit about what was the career journey in that early part? Some of it had to do with, I guess there were kind of two, two underlying things going on for me. One of them was recognizing pretty early that I really did not want to be a trial lawyer because I really don't deal well with conflict. And, and besides that, the very first, I think the first law firm that I had a clerkship with tried to do me a favor by letting me sit in, in on a deposition where they, the lawyers asked questions of potential witnesses to draw out what the facts of the case are. I was so bored that I probably, I think I actually fell asleep for me. <laughs> oh my I goodness. I don't remember. Anyhow. That plus the conscious aversion to overt conflict made me recognize that I really did not want to do trial work. And I drifted over towards banking law or financial services, partly to prove to myself that the fact that I hated math and did not do real well at it would not stop me from being able to navigate the financial services world. I also realized a little bit later that I really like statutes. I like statutory law. I don't like case law. I We started out in Boston in small law firms, which actually was a setting that both of us liked, but couldn't afford to buy a house in Boston. This was the late 1980s and Real estate prices were just crazy. Yeah. And we started looking around for, we didn't have children yet. So we started looking around for other fields to play in and wound up moving to Philadelphia where I had gone to college and had connections and was able to introduce my husband to connections as well, even though he was from New England. I still had college classmates who were in the area Having gone to college just outside of Philadelphia, we were sworn into the Pennsylvania bar. We literally ran into a friend of mine from college on Broads who was uh, actually a lawyer at a large Philadelphia law firm, just knowing people. And then these accidental encounters can make such a huge difference. That college friend, we wound up buying a house two blocks from her and her husband. And before we had kids, we all hung out together. And now 
and our kids grew up together, all that sort of thing. You take for granted, you, you think the, the path to landing a job is find, find an advertisement, make an application, get a phone call, do an interview. And the truth of the matter is you have to really work connections. I don't care what era you were born in. It's who you know. Exactly. And I am just finding out now that these sorts of connections have reverberations over many years. Just for example, um, that friend that I ran into, that my husband and I ran into on Broad Street that day in, when was this, 1987, my husband passed away in the, in January of 2000. And that friend was the one who wrote the obituary for the legal press. And she, in that obituary, mentioned pro bono case, prisoner's rights case that my husband had worked on. And she talked about it a little bit, cited the case. Two months ago, one of my sons was writing his personal essay as he was applying to law school. I showed him the obituary and he went and found the case that his dad worked on, incorporated into his personal essay. He was just admitted like two days ago to his, one of the law schools he applied to. So Hopefully. it's interesting to see how these things reverberate over many years. So I'm curious, when you went back and moved, what were the things that you were looking to do in your line of work? After getting your husband settled in his role, what were you doing at that point? One of the reasons, I don't think I ever really articulated this to myself but at the time, but I think one of the reasons that I wanted to move, other than being able to afford to buy a house and all that stuff, was that I had connections in large law firms in the Philadelphia area. And that's part of the, quote, traditional track in the law. And I wanted to see what that was like. Turns out that I really disliked the large law firm environment, but without actually doing it, there's no way I really would have, or at least I didn't have enough self-awareness back then to really have been able to tell that I wouldn't like it without actually having tried it. You know, Paula, that is like this brilliant kernel of wisdom. And I'm going to, and I'm going to say why. So originally I I was supposed to be an accountant Mm -hmm. and I went to work I went to work at Big Eight Accounting Firm when there still were eight of them in a non-accountant kind of role. This was early in my career just to try it out. And oh my gosh, I was like, what am I thinking? <laughs> sure. You know, <clears throat> what am I thinking? So it's, you have to have those experiences. And one of the things that I always coach especially people who are younger in their careers. I always tell them, finish your undergrad and go work for a while. You got to pay that fee, if you will, to get invited into some of these places to start your career, but go try it out for a couple of years before you invest in higher education in a field that you don't even know if you're going to like it or not. Absolutely. Experienced 
these kinds of different kinds of environments in in the law. And I really liked the small law firm that I worked at in Boston, but partners eventually were at each other's throats. And that's the downside of that kind of pers small, personalized atmosphere. So then I tried the big law firm and really did not like the environment. And at that time did some, what I realized was career coaching okay. <laughs> um, with someone who was a former lawyer who had recognized that he didn't like actually practicing law. So got a degree in a further degree in psychology and was working with a legal consulting firm at that mm -hmm. point. And remember talking through all of the different options, you can make small changes. In other words, just change your environment to see, will that do it for you? Or if that doesn't work, you can make much larger changes. So um, now in my career transition coaching, I'm able to put all of that experience to use. I have to say, I've always found it interesting that we want 18 year olds to decide what they want to be for the rest of their lives. And the truth is they don't know what they want for lunch. Something's got to change where we're able to help people make better decisions about where to spend their time being educated. I think we have placed such an emphasis on traditional education for so long that we need to step back and take a look at it. How do we help young people get a chance to try different tasks, work with different kinds of teams, see what, what gets them excited? Before you go and plunk down tens of thousands or $100,000 plus on a college education that may or may not be a good fit for you. And working for more than a year, more than one year between college and whatever is next is a really, really good idea. Now, there are occasional exceptions to that, but my other son is actually one of them. And in fact, when he decided at the age of 16 that he wanted to be a theater lighting designer, my reaction was exactly what you just said, Holly. How, you don't even know what you want for lunch. So how do you know what you want to do for the rest of your life? And sometimes I think they get experiences in high school that plant those seeds. So I don't know, maybe he was involved in theater in high school. And my kids too had been in the music and theater route. And it, absolutely, it gives them a sense for possibilities. But by and large, if you're going to invest a ton of money in, say, becoming an attorney, becoming a physician, becoming an accountant, these professions that require long-term commitment in terms of education, licensure, all the rest of it, gosh, you better darn test out the waters a little bit. Exactly. I think that it's important to test out the waters. What I think is even maybe more important is the freedom to change your mind once you get into it. Right. And so for me, what really stands out is that the jobs that exist now didn't exist 
in the late 1980s. They didn't even exist when I got out of college in the late 1990s. And so what is really striking me is that the conversation from my perspective, based on even the experiences that both of you have had, is really more so about that continuous learning and that continuous evolution and that continuous willingness to try something new. And there are so many opportunities that we have to try something new or learn something different or look across a technology or a new field to move into a different area that I think the conversations and the coaching and the advice that could potentially be really valuable is around not being afraid to change your mind and continuing to learn and experience and grow in new areas that you might never have thought of in the past. Exactly. And as time goes on, fields, new fields develop and nascent fields mature. And I had exactly that sort of experience when my husband passed away in January of the year 2000. I really wanted, was conscious of wanting to go back to school. And I have friends who were in similar positions who did go back to school, just step back. I really couldn't do that with three small children. My, my twins were two years old at the time, and I just couldn't spare the attention. And that desire to go back to school stayed with me. If I had gone, been able somehow to go back to school at that time, I probably would have studied like English literature or history and not necessarily have been able to figure out what to do with what I was studying. It would have just been going back to school for the sake of going back to school. Whereas by looking again in 2015, 2016, when my sons were graduating from high school, going off to college, coaching had developed organizational dynamics as a field had developed. And so I was fortunate enough to come across actually an old legal contact, someone who had been the executive director of one of the law law firms that I had worked at back in the late 80s, early 90s at an open house for an organizational development graduate program. And she had left the legal world back, I forget how many years ago, and was an executive coach, concentrating her practice in, among other things, coaching lawyers. There's just another example of leverage your contacts. You've done that a number of times throughout your career that's apparent. And we're going to put that down as a piece of advice from Paula, because I think we, um, and I don't like to generalize, but I think women in particular feel that it's cheesy to leverage your contacts unless you've got something to offer them. You feel a little put off by, 
oh, I don't want to burden Kristen by asking her this favor. What, do I have something I could give her in exchange? We seem to have a a block around doing that. This is something that I talk to coaching clients about as well. And people very often feel honored when you ask them to tell you about their experience, to introduce you to, to when you approach them. And so many of my clients have said, oh, I never thought of that. It just felt like a burden or an inconvenience, or I was asking them to do something extra that they didn't otherwise want to do. It's a good thing to keep your contacts. Absolutely. And not be, not be afraid to ask for help. That's a theme that we hear across many of our interviews with individuals, things that they've learned through their career. It's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. It's okay to make requests of people. It doesn't necessarily mean you purposely go and try to overburden folks, but I always like the rule of let's pay it forward. People will say to me, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that for me. What can I do for you? And I will just be like, you don't have to do anything for me. Just keep this in mind. And the next time you have an opportunity to pay it forward to somebody else, just give me a half of a thought when you do it. That's all that I need. Paula, you've, the journey isn't over because you are just recrafting the next level of your career. The question that we do usually ask our, ask our interviewees is, so if you were to look back or talk to your 25-year-old self, what kind, of, what kind of advice would you give yourself at this stage of the journey? I would love it if my 25-year-old self had recognized that, that self-awareness is a really key component of of life, but particularly life in the working world. And it is so easy to get sucked into or not even get sucked into, just semi-mindlessly follow the established path that you've gotten started on without self-monitoring yeah it's okay to change your mind right exactly it's okay to change your mind it's okay to make a course adjustment we shouldn't carry around guilt for that and nobody should try to make you feel guilty for it even if you've you know spent money on whatever school program or whatever, if it's not a fit, if it turns out to not be a fit. Or or find a way to parlay it into something else that maybe is aligned with your training, but takes you in a different world, just like your example with different types of law, different types of firms that you can work for. There's attorneys all over the place doing all kinds of different work, just as we we all know, it's an easy example. But the things that we learn as we go through our careers, if I'd only known at 25, what I know today, hey? Exactly. Something, if somebody had 
told me that at the age of 25, I, I most likely would not have listened. Absolutely. And you know what else, Paula? All of those adventures that we've been able to enjoy, in quotes, mm-hmm. along the way, they're all learning opportunities. And that's what ends up creating what emerges later on in your career, too. So exactly. people always say to me, what would you change? I wouldn't change a thing. I think there were probably a, a couple of um, isolated incidents in my career that I would like to change. I think we all have those. But in terms of general trajectory or the path, I think the path turned out to be exactly what it was supposed to be. Yes, exactly. So forgive yourself if you step off the, if you step off this, the side of the pavement once in a while, it's okay. And it's okay to get back on the pavement or, and it's also okay, alternatively to create a new path. Exactly. Just put down some new asphalt. That's the way it works. It's been a great opportunity to see how our lives can change based on our interests, based on our increased self-awareness, based on a variety of different things. And I can bet, Paula, that when you got started in your career, you didn't think that you would end up in coaching and executive coaching and organizational change and effectiveness and all of those types of things. So I appreciate you giving us a peek into what has led to some of those changes for you. Thank you, Kristen. There, I'm not sure that organizational development was really a thing when I got started in my career, or maybe just a very kind of a gleam in someone's eye. Thank you again, Paula. We really appreciate you taking time to chat with us and share with our listeners a little bit about your journey, inspired people to keep on doing what we do, keep on looking for new opportunities. Don't be afraid. Reach out to those folks that you can ask for help and don't be afraid of straying off the path once in a while. It's okay. Thank you both, Holly and Kristen. It is delightful to talk with you. Thanks so much. If you'd like to reach out to Paula for maybe some coaching or help with a career transition, you can reach her at Paula at PaulaGoulden.com. That's P-A-U-L-A-G-O-U-L-D-E-N.com. You can also connect with her on her website, ArtemisLeadershipDevelopment.com. All this will be in the notes as well. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to Uplifting Women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by UpliftingWomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.